my Govanen. Welcome to the Tolkien Lore Channel. I'm the Tolkien Geek, and I am a, probably about a week late to this party because I was out camping last week and couldn't get a video done, and I had already had one prepared and in the can. But this has to be one of the most hilarious things to ever come up when it comes to Tolkien because it's a lawsuit for copyright. Well, there's just so many moving parts, I'll have to get into it, but this guy named Demetrius Polychron, who wrote a book back in, I think, 2017 called The Fellowship of the King, which is effectively a sequel to The Lord of the Rings and occurs in the lifetime of Eleanor Gamgee and Eldarion, son of Aragorn. Uh, basically, he says that the Rings of Power show copied a bunch of his ideas, and therefore he is suing Amazon, Bezos, the Tolkien estate, Simon Tolkien personally, and I think a couple of other entities, for copyright violations. Now, the reason this gets so hilarious is because there's a number of other things going on here, but this, of course, is right in my wheelhouse, because not only am I a big Tolkien guy, but the law is my profession. And more specifically, I've actually dealt with copyright law a few times because, as you may know if you've seen my video on it, I've had to fight off Warner Brothers copyright claims on some of the videos I've put out with Lord of the Rings movies content in them. And I've beat them every time. Now, I say that, but I should caveat here that I am not an expert in copyright law. There's more nuance to it than I am really familiar with because it's not the area that I actually practice, but I do know the basics. So my analysis in those terms is not going to be totally solid, but I will give you at least some ideas of how this works and what to expect in a lawsuit like this. I'm going to look at what my first impressions when I saw the lawsuit were and what I thought, and I'm going to look at just kind of the saga as it's unfolded over the past week or two, just because so many of the things that have happened have been just utterly insane. Uh, <laughs> some of this stuff is, from my perspective, hearsay. I haven't actually seen some of this stuff firsthand. Uh, I've seen things that people have posted on Twitter, and I just haven't had the time to research it myself personally, so... You know, I'm assuming that what other people have been putting out there is at least basically accurate. So keep that in mind as well. But this whole thing got started when news of this lawsuit dropped. And the theory behind it is this book, The Fellowship of the King, was actually the source for many of the ideas of Amazon's Rings of Power show. And I should also mention here, for those who didn't see my reviews of the Rings of Power and aren't aware of my overall thoughts on that, I don't like Rings of Power, uh, <laughs> just to be frank. And so there's a little bit of that bias that goes into some of how I look at this, not in terms of the legal issues, but just in terms of what I think would be a funny outcome, and I'll get to that in a minute. So news of this lawsuit drops. And, of course, the entire Tolkien world goes nuts on Twitter. We're all talking about it, wondering what this is all about and whatever. And some of us, you know, not me, but some of us start actually, like, reading into this book, The Fellowship of the King. And the first hilarious point about all of this, of course, is the fact that 
the Fellowship of the King itself would be a copyright violation. It is a book explicitly based on Tolkien's own work, for which he had no license to, you know, publish this thing. So, the only way you could get around that would be by claiming that it is in some way fair use. And I'll come back to that too, because there was some information that came out later that suggested that maybe it might fit into that. And I'll, I'll get to that. But on the face of it, it seemed like such an absurd thing, because it's like, you, sir who have written an entire book, which is clearly a derivative work protected by copyright, are claiming that Amazon copied you, and therefore they owe you money for violating your copyright. Now, I looked at the Amazon page for this book, because there was one until recently, which is one of the hilarious developments in this whole thing, and there were, I think, five or six reviews. One of them was positive and was basically just saying, yay, I love the world and all that. And it's like, did this person just like read Lord of the Rings and then pick this up not knowing what he was getting into and just was happy there was more Lord of the Rings type stuff? I don't know. It wasn't really clear from the review because it was really short. Every other review was basically people saying, don't buy this, it's garbage, it's copyright violation. <laughs> so right off the bat... You have to wonder how many books this guy has sold in the last, what, six years since he published it? So, that's hilarious point number two, is the fact that there's this this whole idea that he's even making money off of this, that he's being, you know, somehow losing because Rings of Power has stolen his ideas. So, there's that. And then, you know, in the process of thinking about all this, and this is where my lack of knowledge of the nuances of copyright kind of comes in, I made a comment on somebody's post about this on Twitter, and I basically said, the most hilarious outcome, and this is also where my bias against the Rings of Power comes in, the most hilarious outcome of this whole thing would be that he does in fact prove that Rings of Power ripped off a ton of his ideas but he loses because he himself was already in violation of copyright and therefore has no right to claim anything on the whole thing. So, to me, this would be absolutely hilarious because since I dislike the Rings of Power and this guy is writing this, what I have heard from people who have read more into it is pretty awful and I've seen little snippets of things that are in the book and it... Yeah, it doesn't strike me as high quality. Um, but it it would be hilarious because it would show that Rings of Power, which is, in my opinion, trash, actually was derived from a trashy fanfic. <laughs> which, to me, that would just be hilarious. If you like Rings of Power, maybe you don't think that would be quite as hilarious. But just from my perspective, that would have been like the funniest possible outcome in the whole thing. That Yes, he proves that they ripped him off completely, but he gets nothing for it. But it also sinks Rings of Power's reputation and crushes it. I don't think that's going to happen because now I have actually seen pages from the lawsuit where he details some of the things that he thinks are you know, examples of copyright violation, things that Rings of Power copied that he did. And I'm going to give you some examples of those. And 
some of them are absolutely hilarious because they're incredibly weak. So, for example, in the Rings of Power, he mentions that Galadriel becomes a warrior and takes up Finrod's sword, which is not exactly accurate because what she takes up is his dagger, not his sword. So I, I don't know. That's just lazy. And then there's apparently a quote here from page 157 of his book, which the quote is, Let her people into the thick of attacking orcs. It's not clear who her refers to. Maybe it's Galadriel. I don't know. It would be really weird if it was Galadriel, because by the time Eleanor grows up, it's Galadriel's gone. Now, it could be a flashback to some earlier point when Galadriel is still you know, in Middle-earth, or I, I don't know. The problem is this quote makes it completely unclear what's going on. Assuming for sake of argument that it is Galadriel, that's hardly a copyright violation because they took the idea that she is a warrior because as I pointed out in my own video on Elrond and Galadriel as warriors, there is stuff that Tolkien wrote himself, which indicates that Galadriel at least fought at the havens of Alqualonde in defense of, you know, half of her ancestry, the, the Teleri. And so this idea that this is somehow a copyright violation because Rings of Power copied him is just like, really? This is already there. I mean, like, we already know this. So that's dumb. Uh, there's also... In the Rings of Power, a hobbit named Eleanor, or Nori, Harfoot. Or, he actually spells it Nuri, which, I don't know if that's just a typo or what, but that's just, again. And then on page VII, 7 in Roman numerals, but just to distinguish the fact that it's not regular page 7. Eleanor, daughter of Samwise and Rosie. This one is maybe the most hilarious of all of them, because Eleanor is already named in the body of the Lord of the Rings. This is a known character. If they're copying anybody, they're copying Tolkien, not this guy. Why would... like? <laughs> he copies Tolkien, and they copy the same thing from Tolkien, and he's like, well, that's a copyright violation of my stuff. Mm, that's... that's no. That, that's just pathetically weak. Um, so then there's a... At the 43-minute mark of the first episode of Rings of Power, the end of the War of Wrath. 43 minutes in, I'm not really sure what that's referring to because they talk about that they have the little brief scene of the something going down, uh, which is the War of Wrath, early in the episode. 43 minutes in is getting close to the end of the first episode, unless he means the first of the, like, combined one and two. I don't know. But then it says in page 157 of his book, quote, refugees who had survived the War of Wrath, end quote. Okay. Like, again, the War of Wrath is a known thing in Tolkien. It's the end of the Silmarillion, basically. So why is this... How... Refugees who had survived the War of Wrath, and then... They talk about the end of the War of Wrath. Yeah, those things are the same. They, they talk about the same event, but it's a known thing in Tolkien. It's not like he came up with that idea. So again, it's just like, what? Uh, it, it's bad. Uh, there's many more in here. 
for example, there's an elf who is granted access to Durin's halls in episode 2, which of course is referring to Elrond. And then there's a quote from page 164 of his book saying, They invited him into dot 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 Khazad-dûm. They invited who into Khazad-dûm? I mean, even if that's an elf, again, this is hardly an original idea. We know that Celebrimbor and Narvi had a really close working relationship. Do we really think none of the Noldorin elves of Eregion ever went into Khazad-dûm? This is somehow an original idea that he came up with that nobody else can use? That's silly. Uh... This one strikes me as really weird. So, episode two, he, he refers to Gandalf. So, he's assuming that the stranger, whose identity we don't know, but who seems to be a wizard, is Gandalf. And he says, Gandalf displays the power of Ulbandi's voice. Now, for those of you who are not familiar with the history of Middle-earth, Ulbandi is actually a name that pops up in Tolkien. And it's the name, originally, of the Ainu who Melkor weds, much in the same way that Manwe weds Varda. And back in the really old conception, these weddings, these pairings of Valar could actually result in offspring. So Eanwe, the herald of Manwe, or in the original conception, his name was a little bit different, but he, he was actually the progeny of Manwe and Varda. And for Melkor and Ulbandi, their uh, their progeny was Gothmog, the Lord of the Balrogs. So that's like the only time this character ever gets mentioned. Now, what's silly to me here is Gandalf displays the power of Ulbandi's voice. He's saying that this is in Episode Two. I'm assuming this is a reference to the scene where the stranger goes. And, you know, makes magic things happen with, you know, his shouting, which I don't even know that the shouting is a aspect of what's going on. I'm not clear on that, because what they're doing with that character is a little weird. But then in his book, Ulbandi, dot, 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 her voice echoed impossibly loud. Okay, but, like, there's no character in Rings of Power named Ulbandi. There just isn't one. So the fact that he is... He is inserting that idea into Rings of Power to make it look like a copyright violation. The, and it's not like the, the stranger's voice was extremely loud. I mean, it was loud, but it was not that loud. So I'm just like, this is still really weak. But he's also, of course, you know, it's just... just oh, and then this one's beautiful. The very next second in the Rings of Power, Gandalf displays the power of my wizard, Alatar. Now, bear in mind, Alatar is an established name of one of the blue wizards that Tolkien wrote about. So, my wizard, Alatar, is... Maybe what he means there is, the way I wrote this character, these are the powers he has, and Gandalf, in or the Stranger, whatever, in Episode 2, is displaying that power and copying it. Uh, and then episode, I mean, two, page 281 of his book, or no, page 25, he lifted his staff, dot, 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 caught in the winds. That's extremely vague. I don't even remember what part of the episode two he could be referring to here, because it's not like the stranger is carrying around a staff. I mean, at points he has, like, some kind of stick in his hand, I think, maybe, but, like, really? Wizards carry a staff in Tolkien. That's just how they 
do their thing. And how is this? There's nothing unique about any of that. So maybe he's referring to the fact that when he had his voice, you know, thing, he also, there was a lot of wind going on around him. Again, that's not really impressive. So here's some more that I found were just crazy. We got the first appearance of Durin's wife and the first appearance of Dwarven children in the Rigs of Power show. And in his book, he, of course, has Durin and his beautiful queen, Mirkinamid, which is, like, not a Dwarven name at all. And then Narvi and Dagnal ran to retrieve their children. It's like, the idea that Durin had a wife is hardly a copy. We know he had to have one because his line continues and then there are further Durins down the road. We also know that there are Dwarven children. This is not some unique concept. He also... (laughs) Refers, I think, in a different spot. Oh, yeah, first appearance of a female dwarf ever. And he just refers to the same thing. The fact that he's got a female, you know, the dwarven queen in his story. It's like, but we know dwarven women exist. The fact that they show them is hardly, like, some unique thing. So, this is the kind of stuff. I mean, he's got multiple, like, he goes through all the way through at least episode 7. Uh, And there are multiple things. And some of them are stronger than others. But the idea here that these kinds of things are copyright violation is just nuts from a legal point of view. I mean, we know that dwarven women exist. We know that Thorin has a sister from as early as The Hobbit, because he refers to Feely and Keely as his sister sons. Tolkien then slaps her name into the genealogies and says she's one of the rare women who make it into the genealogies in the appendices to the Lord of the Rings and talks about how there are dwarf women, but they're fewer in number and they rarely go abroad, and so most people don't see them. It's like, this is not some radically new concept that you can claim to have originated on your own, and therefore, like, if they had used the exact same name as he did for the their dwarven princess, Disa, then you might have had something, because his name is so obviously not Tolkienian, and it's weird. Then you might have had something like a copyright, you know, violation there, because now it's like directly copying the name. But here's, here's where some copyright law is going to be a little bit helpful. So the idea of copyright law is that it protects the original creation of somebody. It doesn't protect things like factual reporting or, you know, things that are just kind of general knowledge, anything like this. It has to be an original creation because the point of the copyright law is to protect the ability of creative minds to recover monetary value or other kinds of value for their creative output in order to encourage, as the Constitution puts it, the arts and useful sciences or something to that effect. I don't remember the exact phraseology, but the point of copyrights and patents is to promote art and science. Art meaning creative output. You have to create something. There's nothing very creative about having a dwarven woman because we know those exist already, right? So that's not a <laughs> that's not how that works. Similarly, the fact that there's a wizard in both stories and they use powers with a staff is not very original. That's what Gandalf does all the time in the Lord of the Rings, right? Or does he? 
<laughs> question for a different video, which I've already done. <clears throat> anyway, point being, the kinds of things that he's alleging here are so unoriginal and uncreative that there is absolutely no chance that this kind of lawsuit is going to succeed if that's the best he can come up with. And this kind of lawsuit happens from time to time, or at least claim happens from time to time. My wife told me of an example once of some woman who claimed that Disney ripped off her story with the movie Frozen. And it was full of similar claims like this. I mean, just like the absolute absurdity of it was like, that's what you're copying? That That's your allegation that that's what they copied? That's silly. Patently silly. So, to give you some examples of things that are not copyrightable, general types of themes in stories like the hero's journey type of arc is not copyrightable because these kinds of things are just present all over the place nobody came up with it the you know the idea of just really basic information is not copyrightable so the fact that there are dwarven children is not copyrightable we know those exist right so just down the line, you can see that this kind of stuff is just not going to work in terms of a copyright claim. So my hypothetical most hilarious outcome is probably not going to happen here, um, which is kind of sad because I would, I would love for that hilarious outcome to happen because I think it would be hilarious. But anyway, that being said, further developments came along that made this even more ridiculous. Now, I should go back and say that when this guy announced this lawsuit, he also basically said, like, I, part of his claim was they knew about this because I had already presented this text back when I was writing it. What he claimed was he sent a copy to Christopher Tolkien while he was still alive and maybe other members of the Tolkien estate or the Tolkien family. I forget exactly the details. And he was asking basically for either collaboration or at least blessing to publish this book. And he said he never got a response, which doesn't shock me. <laughs> um, so anyway, he published the thing regardless. So this is how he alleges that they got in you know, contact with the book and got the, their ideas from his book because he knows that they you know, received a copy of it and therefore they were reading it. Now, the claim is still pretty weak. What makes this hilarious, though, is after all this comes out, more and more things start to happen that are just bizarre. So, for example, some people on Twitter were sharing images from what looked like an Amazon page showing the author of The Lord of the Rings, and it had both Tolkien and Demetrius Polychron listed, which is like, okay, that's that's a bold move, my friend. <laughs> I don't know... Who did that? Demetrius Polychron might not have done that. Somebody else might have done it just as a troll. I don't know. It might have been a fake image. I don't know. I looked on Amazon's page for... I can't search every single page for Lord of the Rings. It's just impossible. There's too many volumes, editions, and whatever out there. But I looked at one page, and it didn't list Demetrius Polychron. I didn't look at all of them because, like I said, that would take too long I don't know how that works, so I don't know for sure if that was a legitimate image that might have been faked by somebody. And I'm not saying the person who posted it faked the image. They might have shared it because they saw it from somebody else who might have faked it. I don't know. Uh, and then 
still later, there was some indication that maybe the return of, I mean, the Fellowship of the King, his book, was written as a parody. Now, here's where a fair use argument could come in, right? The general argument about copyright is whether you are protected or whether there's a defense. And what I don't know is whether, hey, you already violated copyright is a defense to a, hey, you broke my copyright claim. So in other words, the fact that Demetrius Polychron violated copyright in writing this book at all might be a defense, even if Amazon actually copied him. It might not. I'm not sure if that's a defense or not. A more common defense, and one that I've used multiple times in my scuffles with Warner Brothers on this channel, is the fair use defense. And fair use basically says you have the right to use a certain amount of copyrighted material as long as you're doing it in a way that isn't really going to undermine the market for the original. So there are various ways of putting this, but there's in general a four-factor test for fair use. And one of the things that in the cases gets talked about, if you read the cases that actually deal with this, and there are not many published ones, but parody or satire is a very classic case of fair use because in general the whole point of the thing is to mock or ridicule an original work. You're not trying to make money off of the original work because you're mocking and satirizing it. So the whole point is that if this thing is truly a parody, then he would have a fair uh, a fair use defense against any copyright claims brought by the estate or whoever it is that owns the rights to Lord of the Rings itself because then he would say, well, it's just parody and therefore it's not, it's a fair use exception and you can't claim copyright. Now, I haven't read enough of the book to know if it's parody. It's entirely possible that it is, and I'll give you an example of why I think that, because in the premise of the book is that after the events of The Lord of the Rings, when Eleanor is older and Eldarion is probably like a teenager, the two blue wizards, or at least one of them, comes out of the east and is like, oh man, there's bad news, guys the original rings of power, which were way more powerful than the ones that you knew about, have been found, and now Morgoth is trying to use them to come back into Arda. And it's just like, not only does this violate everything we know from the Lord of the Rings, but it's also just like a terrible premise for a story. It's just like trying to... This is the kind of thing that a teenager who reads Lord of the Rings would try to shoehorn as a fanfic. And I know this because I had fanficy ideas of the Lord of the Rings when I was a kid. Okay. <laughs> and this reminds me not in direct terms of the exact plotline type stuff, but before I knew the Silmarillion and all this stuff, there were already hints that Sauron had a boss, and so I was already thinking of, you know, fanficy ideas of how to shoehorn that into a, you know, what 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 would that look like? So that's what this sounds like. This sounds like a really bad fanfic by some teenager who likes Lord of the Rings and just wants more of the same stuff. So, it already sounds terrible, but there's a ring poem, of course, for these original rings of power, and the poem is clearly modeled off of Tolkien's ring poem, 
and it's awful. I'm not going to read it for you. You can find it pretty easily if you go look for it, but the point being, I could believe, based on what little I have seen, that the book is in fact a parody or a satire. I could believe that. Now, I haven't read enough of that to really have a good idea, um, and the people who have reported this have said, you really need to know the original pretty well to really get the satire, so... Yeah, I don't know. I haven't read it. I'm not making any judgment on that. But that would be a fair use defense. Other fair use defenses, like I said, there's usually like a four-factor test. One of them is, did you transform the work to the extent that you used it? Or what is the purpose for which you are using it? Are you using a huge amount of it or a very small amount of it? Another factor is the nature of the copyrighted work itself. So is it a work of fiction? Is it a work of, you know, like what kind of thing is it? And this factor, honestly, tends to get downplayed a lot if you read some of the cases because it's hard to tell exactly what effect that should have. And then the final one is, how much effect is this really going to have on the market for the original work? And really, if you think about it, that is ultimately what all of it's geared to anyway. So, I mean, how much of the original work you use, that is an a, a factor on whether it's going to be a replacement for the original work in some way. So, for example, every time I've had to fight off Warner Brothers on my channel, I always have to say, look, I'm not using enough of this thing that anybody could actually watch it and have watched The Lord of the Rings. Like, nobody's watching my video in an attempt to watch The Lord of the Rings for free without buying the disc or something, right? That is really the same thing as arguing there's no effect on the market. So it's it's four factors, but they're all kind of interrelated. The point being here, though, Polychron's original, if we can call it original, return, uh, Fellowship of the King, which is, again, that's such a corny title, that could also be a really good indication that it's parody. <laughs> his, his book, <clears throat> because it is set in a... It, after the Lord of the Rings, you might say it doesn't have an effect on the market for the original copyrighted work, the Lord of the Rings. But derivative works are also protected by copyright, so that's still... And part of the reason for that is the original author has the right to come up with derivative works, and therefore, if the original author has already derivative works out there competing for attention, it kind of affects the potential market at least so how that would work out since Tolkien is long dead and nobody's really writing any new original Tolkien stuff at this point I don't know how much that would matter uh, so in one sense you might say that's a pretty good argument how much of the original are they using well it sounds like this guy is pretty clearly basing it strongly on Tolkien's work and copying a lot of stuff but again if that's parody that doesn't really matter and parody is a classic trace of, case of transforming or the character or purpose, you know, of using the original. Because if he's using the original in order to make fun of it, that's a really different thing than just being like, oh, I'm going to borrow the concept of Rings of Power, I'm going to borrow this character and that character and that character and that character, and we're going to do something almost exactly the same in terms of a storyline. And, you know, if you do that with a, an intent to have a serious story, it looks like you're just copying the original and trying to make bank off of the fact that the author set up a really good market for you. 
if you do that as a parody, you're doing something very different and saying, you know, I think that we should make fun of this for whatever reason. It could be good-natured making fun. It could be bad-natured making fun. But whatever, if you're making fun of it, you're not really trying to reach the same audience in the same way. So you might be trying to get readers of Lord of the Rings to buy your book because good-natured making fun of the original might be appreciated by the buyers of the original and the fans of the original. But it might not. <laughs> so, uh, But it won't be satisfying the same thing that they're looking for by buying the original. It's, it's a, a very different thing. So, I, again, I haven't read enough of his stuff to know whether it's parody, but it sounds like if it's not parody, he's probably in violation of copyright because he's used so many of Tolkien's ideas and concepts down to specific names, unlike Rings of Power, which is just using generic things like there's a female dwarf. Ooh. Uh, that's not that's not original, guys, seriously. Uh, so if anybody's in violation of copyright, it's probably Demetrius Polychron. Again, if it's parody, it's not, but I don't know that. So that's where things stand as far as I can tell legally based on what I have seen. If anybody's violating copyright, it's Demetrius Polychron. If anybody is, you know, safe here, it's Amazon and all the other defendants in this lawsuit. Although it's possible that the stuff that I have seen that is alleged in the lawsuit is not the strongest stuff he has, but then why put it in the lawsuit? That doesn't make any sense. You file a complaint, you want to put your best stuff forward and say, look, what they clearly did here was copy my stuff, not, oh, look, they copied my stuff and here are the weakest possible examples I can find. You don't do that. So, I suspect this is going nowhere. Just to cap off what things, you know, how how this has played out recently, because this is a rather fitting closing point for this video, I'm, I don't know for sure if he has been removed as author of The Lord of the Rings, which I don't know how he got there in the first place, or if he actually is there. But the Amazon page for his book has been taken down. Which tells me that Amazon's like, yeah, that's probably copyright. Get out of here. Also, James Tauber from the Digital Tolkien Project, from, he is the Digital Pro Tolkien Project, I'm pretty sure. He was trying to look into this and tried to buy, I believe, a copy of the book in EPUB format or some other e-book e format. And he said that when he made the purchase, the website, whose name escapes me at the moment, I can't, I don't want to go looking for it, uh, sent him the wrong text. And so he tried to get back with him and say, hey, like, you sent me the wrong thing. Well, they never got back to him either. And so <laughs> it sounds to me like everything is collapsing out from under Demetrius Polychron's feet already, and it's all about to be over before it even gets started, really. Uh, Amazon is not going to back down over this, of course. They're not going to try to settle out with this guy because he, you know, makes a claim and tries to get a little bit of dough out of it. That's not going to happen. I suspect what is likely to happen is since he put so much detail up front into the complaint itself, they may file a motion to dismiss and say, you know, normally... You wouldn't be able to file a motion to dismiss at this early stage because 
as long as he alleges enough information to say that, yeah, there's a copyright violation claim here, you would get to go forward. But if you've already put forward some of your best evidence, then you've already kind of given away the game. And so they might be able to file that motion to dismiss and get a judge to say, yeah, the stuff that you're claiming is copyright violation is clearly not copyright violation. Case dismissed. You shall take nothing. (laughs) So I suspect that may be where this is headed. Uh, It may have already happened, for all I know. I don't have a really good way of keeping up with the progress of the case, and I just haven't had time to look into it. But one way or another, I suspect what's going to happen is this guy's going to end up with nothing, may even have to pay Amazon's legal fees, and that'll probably be the end of that, and we'll never hear any more from Demetrius Polycron as long as we live, because everybody selling his book is going to kick him off their platform, and then, you know. Now, the other possible sort of hilarious outcome of this could be that the Tolkien estate now comes after him and says, copyright, (laughs) and tries to nail him for copyright violation, and then he's going to have to defend his own work, which would be interesting too. But that is, as far as I know, the current status of the saga and some of the more hilarious things that have come out of this. This is just such a perfect, (laughs) perfect melding of, of the two worlds that I live in, because it's Tolkien, and it's the law, and it's an aspect of the law that, while I'm not an expert in it, it, it is one that I have had to use in my own stuff before. So, I just couldn't not do a video on this. The premise of the whole thing itself is hilarious. That possible outcomes were hilarious. The allegations are hilarious. Everything about this is just... You know, you hear about lawsuits that are frivolous. This is This is one of those. If you want a good example of a frivolous lawsuit, this is a prime example. And that is not an intended pun on Amazon Prime, by the way. But it it is a perfect example of a frivolous lawsuit. It's like, you copied my stuff by copying things that is in literally everybody's imagination already. That's not copyrightable. So, anyway, I hope you enjoyed this breakdown and look at some of the legal aspects, some of the more humorous aspects and the kind of history of this saga. Uh, If you did enjoy it and you want to catch more of my content, please like, share, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, make sure you click the bell icon so you don't miss any of my future content. You can also check my description below for support links, social links. Follow me on Twitter for Tolkien-related trivia questions multiple times per week. And until the next time, I am the Tolkien Geek, signing out for the Tolkien Lore Channel. Namarie. Thanks to all my channel supporters, especially Elf Friends PA Brew News and Nathan Dufour.